So if you missed last week, now you're caught up, right? You didn't know, you can get a whole sermon in 90 seconds right there. Uh, yeah, everybody's always, like, oh, that's all we got to do. We'll just come back next week for the 90 seconds. No, that's not it. Um, hey, welcome to Jinx Church. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the Promised Land series. We are really, really excited about this series. Um, and so we want to make sure you catch up. If, if you missed any of these, they're online on our website or on our social media uh, so you can check all those out and get caught up if you miss a week. But we'll also try and give you the highlights so that you can at least be in the conversation. Because last week we started with that, that we're moving. That we believe God is moving us as a church. That he's moving us as people. He is up to something really, really good. And so we talked about how we want to be a church, or really we believe we are a church that's helping people who are in a land full of, you know, a land that's defined by, by things like death and slavery and hopelessness and forgotten and through God's promises, we're helping people and individuals and groups move into a land that's full of salvation and full of purpose and full of freedom and full of the family that God has promised us. And so we talked about that last week and the idea that this week we want to start talking about those promises and we're going to talk about the promise of salvation. Now, I've got to warn you right up front that the, the scripture we're going to use today is one of the most awkward stories in, in, in all the Bible, I believe. It's, it's just a really strange, awkward conversation. And as some of you already know, um, I'm no stranger to awkward situations. Uh, and, and they happen. And, but, I, but my most awkward, probably the most awkward conversation I've ever been in in my life is I uh, had just been in youth ministry for about two weeks and got hired at a church. They already had an event planned for their kids and their youth, and, and we go, and it's this big convention. There's all these people, and we're just trying to figure out. Amanda and I had only been married about six months at this point. We're just trying to figure out kind of who people are and what they're doing, and I'll never forget, uh, we were talking to some of the parents and one lady in particular, and I look over at her, and I say, so, and again, I'm 22 years old at the time, and you know my rule on 22-year-old men, right? 16 to 24 male, dumbest creatures on the planet. So in my mind, the words that are about to come out of my mouth made perfect sense at the time. And I looked and I said, so, when do you do? <laughs> and I knew I had made a mistake as her head whips around and she gives me one of those looks and says, do for what? Oil change? Next round of shots? I don't know, right? And just, I'm out. I just walk away. Because what else do you do at that point? Like, there is no coming back from that statement. So, lesson learned, never ask a woman when she's due. For that matter, never ask a man when he's due either. Let's be honest, guys. Some of us are getting a little too close to that question, right? Super awkward. And I had no choice but to just kind of turn and walk away. And as awkward as that conversation is, the one I'm going to show you in Scripture today, I believe to be even worse than that. And because Jesus shows up and he encounters a woman who needed God to make good on this promise of salvation. But in the course of their talking, in the, in the, in the process of getting to this promise, they encounter some really, really strange interactions. And so if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 4, or it'll be on the big screen behind me, and you can follow along there as well. But we pick the story up in John chapter 4, and it's Jesus and this woman who needs the promise of salvation. And it begins like this in verse 4. Now he, Jesus, 
had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now this is where the story already begins to get awkward because technically verse 4 isn't true. Jesus didn't technically have to go through Samaria. And illustrate this, I've got a map, right? We're going to put the map up there. So Jerusalem's down at the bottom, right? Galilee is up at the top. That's where he's headed. And you see the green lines, kind of the path that Jesus would have taken through to Sychar and through. And you see the little gray dot. The little gray dotted line is the line that Jewish people would normally take. And that's important because Jesus is Jewish. He wasn't a white guy. He wasn't a black guy. He was more like, I like my coffee. He was kind of a mocha type guy. And that's important, right? Because he wasn't how we see him today. And he's, right? He was Jewish. And Jewish people didn't go through Samaria. There's history there. Way back, as, as the people began to wander from Egypt and begin to establish life and interact in other cultures, the Israelites and the Assyrians, right? The Assyrians brought them into captivity and began to, to, to introduce them into their families and their cultures. And, and so the bloodline was no longer pure. And the Jewish people always looked down on the Samaritan people because of this. Racism's not a new thing. It's something that's been going on for years and years because because we're human. And racism is a is a human thing. It's a heart thing. It's a sin thing. And so we see that there's a, this great divide racially because they were always viewed as outsiders. The Samaritans were always viewed and listen, this is it's it's a harsh term and it's not what I use but but it's it's the description of how they viewed the Samaritans. They were half-breeds which is a tremendously offensive term, and yet that was their mindset. So they would go 40, 50, 60 miles out of their way to not even step foot in the land of the Samaritans. So when verse 4 says Jesus had to go through, well, technically that's not even a little bit true. But Jesus chose to go through. Jesus had to go through because he was on a mission. He had a plan. He was going with the intent and that's what, I, that's what I love about it, because here Jesus is, this Jewish man. He shows up, and he goes into Samaria. He goes right into the middle of everything. He defies all the racial tension. He defies all the social and cultural norms. And he goes right in to the middle of Samaria. Let me just put a pin in that for a second and just say, you know, he does the same thing for us. He goes right into the middle of our lives. Doesn't, doesn't matter what the world says about you. Doesn't matter what culture or society. When Jesus wants to get one of his back, when he wants to come into your life, he's going to go to you. He's going to find you even when you don't know how to find him. Because that's the God we serve. He's not afraid of our mistakes. He's not afraid of our past. He's not afraid of labels that people put on us. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. And so while geographically, Samaria is at the middle of the promised land. Culturally, spiritually, it was no man's land. Nobody would go there, and yet Jesus walks right into no man's land. And it says in verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. And yet again, as Scripture so often does, it reminds us that Jesus was human. 
because he was tired. He had been walking, he had been traveling, he had been doing ministry. He was worn out. He was human. He knew exactly what it meant to be tired. So for those of you who are exhausted, who are overwhelmed by work, who are so sick and tired of changing diapers and going through the kids and the toddler stage and chasing them around, for those of you who, who are just consumed with relationship struggles and financial struggles, Jesus understands right where you're at. Because as scripture so often does, it reminds us that Jesus knows what it is to be human. He was fully God, but he was fully human. And he was tired. And so it says, listen, he was tired, but not just that. Look what he did. He just sits down by the well. He just sits down right in the middle of the dirt. And he just get, he's not afraid to get dirty. He's not afraid to step into our world and get dirty. He understands where we're at, and he doesn't run from that. He walks into it. He walks straight in and sits down in the dirt, right? And, and so listen, if you can't get to the promised land, Jesus will bring the promised land to you. That's what he did for this woman. She couldn't go and get him. She couldn't go and meet him. And so he shows up in her world, and he gets dirty in her world. Verse 7, And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Right, which, is, which is so interesting because this is the awkwardness. Hey, hey would you give me a drink? Well, I'm not going to give you anything. Who are you to ask me for a drink? You didn't show up with a bucket. You didn't show up with a rope. This is a big well. You're a man. I'm a woman. I'm Samaritan. You're Jewish. How dare you think that just because I'm here, I should get you? It wasn't what Jesus was asking, was it? But in that moment, that's the response. In that moment, it's just this awkward tension because who is this guy? Verse 8 says, so his, his disciples had gone to town to buy food. So he's there by himself. And the Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Feel the tension? She basically looks and Jesus says, hey, don't you know the rules? You, you don't talk to me. Men don't talk to women in public. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. I'm out here in the middle of the day to avoid people. Why are you approaching me and asking me for anything? But what she didn't know at this point was Jesus wasn't asking something from her. He was trying to give something to her. He was trying to offer this promise of salvation. and She didn't even know it yet. She had no clue what it was. So Jesus answered her, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, salvation, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And all he's saying is he would have given you water that's drinkable, right? Water that moves, water that's alive, because stagnant water, bad water, it just sits and is stationary and doesn't move, and you can't drink it, and it's, it's dead water. But living water is good water, water that you can drink. And, and you got to think in the middle of a desert, that's, that's more valuable than gold, than diamonds. I'm going to give you the one thing you came here looking for. I'm going to give you living water. And then the conversation gets interesting. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. And this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's curious now. He's offering what she needs, and she begins to get intrigued. You greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons 
and his livestock? See, because she knew Jacob, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. She knew. So she introduces in the theology. Because while the Samaritans and Jews didn't see eye to eye on everything, the Jewish people followed the entire Old Testament law, whereas the Samaritans just followed the first five books. They both knew Jacob. So they find starting point. They find common ground. She introduces the theology of of this idea of bringing the cultural and the spiritual together because, let's be honest, they're not just divided culturally. They're also divided spiritually. But Jesus is about to bridge those with that promise of salvation. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up in eternal life. That promise of salvation. But he's also talking about the Holy Spirit, right? He's introducing concepts that she can't even begin to fathom. He's saying, listen, I'll give you salvation. I'll give you that promise, but then I'll give you the Holy Spirit that seals that promise, that makes good on that, that impacts your life now in this world, not just eternally, but allows you to embrace the presence and the power and the promise of God now right now in in this life and the woman said to him sir give me this water so that i won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water she's getting a little rude with him she's getting a little bit sassy right who, who are you to ask me for a drink and who are you that you think you can give this this magic water that nobody gets thirsty and hey, she doesn't get it She's thinking in in immediate terms. She's thinking in literal terms. She has no idea, this idea. So she says, listen, give me some of this living water. Give me another way out. I didn't want to be at this well. I don't like when I have to come out here. I I don't even want to be in this conversation. So if there's a way out, if there's another way, I want to know about it. And that's when it gets super awkward. Because what Jesus is about to say next is kind of like one of those when do you do statements, right? You're just not supposed to say it. He said, hey, go call your husband, then come back. You feel, feel the tension? Right? Go, go get your husband. I'm not going to deal with just with you. You go get your husband, and then you come back, and then we'll talk. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, what you have just said is quite true. And you think there's a stigma today about being divorced five times? It was way worse in this day and age. He says, hey, go get your husband. I, yeah, you've had five. Now you're on number six, and he's not even your husband. And I just feel, feel the tension, feel the awkwardness, feel it as, it as it begins to mount. And yet all this because Jesus had to go through Samaria? He had to go through because this woman was there. He had to go through because he was on a mission. He had to go through because he wanted to show up and give the promise of salvation to one lady at a well in the middle of the day. That's why he had to go through. It made no sense geographically, but it made perfect sense when you look at his mission. See, it wasn't that he was in a hurry and had to run through and couldn't take the normal route. God doesn't get in a hurry. God controls time. He had to go through Samaria because because he cares. 
because he wants everyone to come to know him because he knew of a woman who so desperately needed the promise that he was there to offer. And so he has to go through Samaria. See, Jesus is always moving. He's always making bold moves. He's always asking us to come into this. And, he, and listen, he, he doesn't ask these questions. He didn't ask her about her husbands to hurt her. He asked to lead to salvation so he could save her. And when he convicts you and I, he's not convicting us to hurt us. He's convicting us so that he can heal us. But what you and I do, or at least, at least I do, right, is when God begins to convict my heart, I turn into Ross from Friends, right? Pivot, right? God, I don't, God, I don't want to talk about this, so I'm going to turn and I'm going to talk about this over here. No, no, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to talk about this over here. Or we turn into this, uh, this, this what about-ism, right? What about those people over there? They're not doing what I'm doing. Well, what about those people that are way worse than me? Well, what about, well, what about? And we look for any opportunity we can to talk about anything except for what we are convicted of. And that's the struggle. That's the struggle for me as a minister. It's the struggle for you. That we all have things that are going on in our life that God shows up. He finds us and he convicts our heart and he says, you need to change. And yet, we've got to make that choice. Are, what about me? Or am I going to say, what about them? And point the finger and do anything I can to begin to move away when God wants to change the world, when God wants to change a community, a church, he starts with the individual. He starts with the heart. And if I'm going to experience change in my life, if we are going to experience the change and the movement that God is calling us to, it starts with saying, what about me? And embracing the conviction, knowing that God's not convicting our hearts to hurt us, but to heal us. That he is looking for a way to come and embrace us and offer us this promise of salvation. And her response is kind of a no-brainer. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. You think? Right? Obviously, because Jesus, he knew everything. Knew everything about her. Didn't scare him away. Encountered her at the well. Didn't bother. He looked for a way to go right into her life and offer her the gift and the promise of salvation. And listen to me. He offers you and I the same gift, the same promise, the same power. Now, for her, she's still not sure. She's heard enough that she knows he's a prophet, that, he, that she knows he's got something figured out, but she's still not sure she's bought in. So the next couple of verses is just her trying to change the su subject again, her trying to make another pivot, her trying to come up with another what about. And she starts asking questions about worship and location and all these things. But Jesus, as lovingly and patiently as only he can be, he doesn't bite. He doesn't go down those roads. He doesn't chase those rabbits. He, he redirects her back. To this promise. And you pick it up in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah, the one called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain all of this to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
It's not until this point in the conversation he truly reveals who he is, that he is the Messiah. Just then his disciples return and we're surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asks, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They figured it out at this point. Shh, don't say anything. Hey, we'll get a lecture. She's going to tell us some big story that we don't understand. Let's just be quiet and watch and we will figure out what he's talking about. He'll eventually explain it to us. And sure enough, so then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, don't miss that. Her, her experience with Jesus changed her priorities. Showing up and having one conversation in the presence of Jesus changed her priorities. She leaves her water jar behind. The very thing she was there for, her purpose in life in that moment, in that day, she leaves it behind and she goes back and she faces the ridicule. And she faces the awkwardness. She goes back and says to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. See, what makes this so overwhelming for me, what makes this such an interesting story, is there she is at a well at noon the hottest part of the day. She's out there by herself. All the other women get up and go early in the morning when it's still cool, and they go as a group for safety and, and help, and she's not invited. She's not accepted. She's an outsider. So she's got to find her way out there on her own in the middle of the day when it's hot, when nobody's there to help, when nobody's there to watch her back. She's not welcome with everybody else. She's an outsider among her own people who are outsiders. And she shows up and she's there and Jesus meets her there. He meets her there and he forever changes her life. He risks, and then, and then because of that, she risks everything to tell other people. Because they knew, they knew she was out there. They knew why she was out there. So when she runs back into town and says, hey, I met a guy who told me everything I ever did, they're thinking, we all know everything you ever did. We know who you are. We know what you've done. She risked the awkwardness. She risked the hatred. She risked her, what little reputation she had left. She risked everything to tell other people about the Messiah about Jesus, about the one who forever changed her life. So when you find what you're looking for, you're willing to leave all behind what you've been leaning on. Right? Whatever that crutch is, whatever that relationship, that job, that status, that, right? all the things that we, we kind of lean on in life, that we kind of use to, to help get us through, when, when you find that one thing you've been looking for your whole life, you leave all that behind. And that's what she did. She left her jar. She left her past. She left everything because she finally met the one. She finally found the one that she had always needed. And it was Jesus. She left everything else behind. She went running back into the town. And she was willing to tell everybody. So let me pause and just ask you a question then. Who are the promises of God for? 
right? Because if, if Jesus shows up in a land he's not supposed to be in with a group of people he's not supposed to be, what does that tell us? What does that tell me and you? What it tells me is that God's promises are for everyone. Everyone. They're, they're there for all people. That it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your reputation. They're for everyone, but they're also for outsiders, right? Because see, to God, there are no outsiders. We do, though. Oh, well, it's only a certain group, right? You've got to worship in a certain church or a certain style. You've got to come from a certain background or culture or race. Or, and we put all these categories, but God doesn't say that. God says, no, no, no. My promise is for everyone. My promise is even for the people that you don't let in, that aren't welcome, that are excluded. My promise of salvation is for everyone, even sinners. And I'm a sinner. So are you. You may not like to admit it, but you are. Because listen, the reality is, if you don't think you're a sinner, you don't think you need a Savior. And I'm a sinner. I need Christ. I need a Savior in my life. I can't be who I want to be. I can't get to where I ultimately want to get to without a Savior. God says, that's who my promises are for. The people that need me. The people that are aware how badly they need me. See, the promised land, it's more than just a group of people getting out of Egypt. It's so much more than just crossing the Jordan River. It's so much more than just entering into a land full of blessing. It's more than just right now. That it's salvation now in this life, but it's ultimately salvation in a face-to-face relationship with Jesus for all eternity. That the promised land is something we get to experience in this life when we surrender, but we get to experience forever when we come into the presence of Jesus. And the story wraps up. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to them, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. He's breaking down the walls. There's no more separation. They didn't say, oh, no, no, we'd love for you to stay, but you're a Jew, so you can't be here. He's breaking down the barriers. He's breaking down the divide. He's breaking down all these social cues that say, no, 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 this can't happen. Jesus didn't let anything prevent him from accomplishing his mission. He had to go through Samaria because he had to save a soul, because he had to change a life forever that in turn changed other lives. Verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now, we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. They didn't just take her word for it anymore. They went and had their own experience with Jesus. They went and found out what he meant to their life. And listen, for some of you, today's your day. Today's your day to stop taking my word for it. Stop taking your your husband, your wife's word for it. Stop taking mom and dad's word for it or minister's word. Today's the day where you experience for yourself the saving promise of Jesus. That he will rescue you. He will make you new. He will accept you even when no one else in your life does. That he'll come and find you. 
And he'll bring the promised land to you. Because the reality is, this is more than a story about an outcast woman. This is our story. This is my story. This is your story. Because see, when I was 12 years old, Jesus came and sat down in the dirt by my well. And he saved me. And there's a point in many of the people's lives in this room where Jesus came into their life and he sat down right where they were, in their dirt, in their mess, in their no man's land, and he saved them. There are marriages that are still together because Jesus showed up. There are parents who still have a relationship with their kids because Jesus showed up. There are some of you who are alive today because Jesus showed up. This isn't just a story about an outcast woman. This is your story. This is my story. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, it can be your story. Because see, the reality is, Jesus is always making bold moves. And he invites us to come along with him. He is always moving. He is always changing. And he invites us to come and move with him. Yeah. The leadership of this church, we believe we're moving that we're already in the promised land and we're just moving into greater depths of the promise of what God wants to do. And we want you to come be a part of that story too. But it starts with seeing yourself in the story as the outcast woman, as the sinner who needs a savior. Listen, not because we want to make you feel bad, but because we want to help. And not because we can do anything, but because we know the one who can. See, today is the day that your life can forever change. That today is the day that Jesus can show up and change you and give you new life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we close today. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. Uh, we're we're going to stand. I'm going to pray over you. After the prayer, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. It's going to be new to some of you, but don't worry about that. Listen to the words. Listen to what's said. But I want you to also know there's folks in the back that are going to pray with you, that are there to help you take your next step in surrendering your life to Christ. They're there to help you. And so what we're going to do in these next few moments is we're just going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the promise of salvation. We're going to celebrate the idea that, that there's a chance for something better. There's a chance to move into the story of God. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just let me begin to pray over you. Heavenly Father, we are so glad you are in this place. God, we, we need your salvation. God, we want your promise. God, we want you to be our Savior and our God and our friend. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed. If you're in this room and while I've been talking, telling this story, you felt God convicting you. Don't, don't, don't pivot. Don't change. Don't let Satan convince you to think what about. God, would you, would you make those folks that you've convicted their hearts, would you help them be bold and make a bold faith move and just step out of their aisle while we sing? Just step out and walk to the back and begin a conversation about how to make you their savior. 
Because we want to help them with that. We want to just risk it all so that their life can be forever changed and so that they can go and tell others. Heavenly Father, bless the hearts that you've convicted. Begin to move their feet. Begin to change their lives. God, we pray that you are glorified as we sing and we celebrate, God, your promise of salvation. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen.